0: Broadcasting live from the Business Radio X studios in Atlanta, Georgia, it's time for CEO Exclusive, brought to you by Anona Enterprises.
1: Good morning and welcome to CEO Exclusive, where we get emerging trends from CEOs and their most trusted advisors. I'm your host, Soyini Koch. What does a CEO do when you're already in a crowded industry and then the market falls out underneath you. We're going to talk about this with today's guests, Judy Mosen and Randy Urquhart from Handcrafted Homes, Inc. They are in a very crowded industry, residential real estate, building and development, and yet they've been around for 40 years. And they have been through a lot. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you, Celine. So tell me, Judy and Randy, A little bit about your company and what corner of uh, the residential real estate um, building market you serve. Our company started out as um,
2: new construction and proceeded that way for about 15 years and then moved over into renovation also. So at this moment, we design and build and renovate uh, in the metro Atlanta
1: area and a little bit in the North Georgia mountains. Mm. And so the past 10 years have been an absolute roller coaster for everybody in real estate and residential real estate in particular. I I don't know the exact statistic, but my understanding is that at least 10 percent of the residential real estate housing inventory in the Atlanta area went through foreclosure during the Great Recession. The bottom completely fell out and you were already in a very crowded field. Tell our listeners a little bit about your experience and and how you came through. You've come successfully through the past 10 years. I would like to point out that we
2: had a little preparation for that. (laughs) In our industry, recessions are not unusual. And there was another serious one in the late 1980s, like 1989, 1990. Uh, At that time, I'd say we got some very good experience. Uh, Some of the things we did were things such as we quit building speculative homes. We said from now on, every home we build is pre-sold. At the same time, we said um, we really want to emphasize past clients and to get more work from past clients. I would say that we emphasized remodeling, wouldn't you, Randy?
0: It was definitely a move we made, and because we had already established relationships with our clients, they believed in us, they trusted us, and so it was an easy move for us.
2: We kind of figured if the recession was hitting us, it was hitting them in their investments and so that maybe they'd be more interested in remodeling. And so we kind of grew both aspects of our, our business and kind of restructured how we were organized. That led us to some a better position, I would say, when the Great Recession hit. So we didn't have speculative homes. We didn't have land that we lost. Uh, we had clients that called us specifically for our work. So that made a huge difference. But probably the number one difference for me is that I had made a commitment to joining our professional associations. And therefore I'm a very active member in NARI, the National Association, of the Remodeling Industry. So I took trips across the country, met people from all over, went to conferences, got highly educated. I became a certified remodeler, green certified professional. That kind of put us one n- notch above, I'd say, the average remodeler. You say it was a crowded field. It was and still is, and that gave us an advantage. But really what it was is the networking, the conference is what we learned. Uh, Randy, you you might want to tell them about your certification.
0: What what we try to do is, is be more educated. Our what has happened to to building over the the last uh, ten years too? It's it's moved into the science of building, mm. and uh, it's it's not like what 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 my dad used to do. It's it's now going to classes and studying, and it's it's something that that Judy was very wise about and said, Randy, it's time for us to get educated, and so that's what we started doing was finding out about this, the sustainability of building. Of our, our clients are expecting our houses to last and not be in three years. Oh, you hear these terrible uh, visions of what's happened to clients that where their house is falling apart.
1: In this, this idea of networking and professional development, certainly for the CEOs listening, everybody's time is really valuable. You could spend your entire day, week, month going to meetings, talking to people, networking. How do you think about how to prioritize? which associations, which pools you feel are the most valuable and and which ones are, you know, a waste of time, for lack of a better word. That's hard. It is. That's a good question. Because I I look at my own calendar and I was like, well, there's this conference and that conference and this other conference. and, And like by the time you look at all the conferences you could go to, you have no time to do anything else. I spend a lot of time looking for the ones
2: that can give me two primary things. One, data. Data is something that our company really doesn't have the ability to invest into research for data. So I'm looking at places that I can get that. And so if I can get the data on what's happening in the industry, then we can better position ourselves and see what we need to do in the future. And that's very important. Um, The other thing I think we look for, areas where we're weak. That's very important. Where, Where do we need help as a company? We are very good at detail and design So I really don't feel like I need to go to a a company that—I mean—a conference that's emphasizing organization or design facets. But as far as social media and networking, those conferences are always good because that's probably my weakness, and partly because I grew up uh, with the beginning this company as president without social media. So I needed to—I need to keep up on that, and that's something that's very important for me and for our company.
0: And something that Judy and I also did was. Judy would go to many of these conferences, and I would not. She was extremely involved with with nari the National Association of the remodeling industry and I stayed back in the office and that's where my job mainly is is in the office, so we were able to divide and conquer that way too
1: and speaking of trends, everybody every most you know many 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 people own homes so what is happening with residential real estate home building remodeling in in a uh, in, in um, this a, a demographic that you think would be interesting?
2: I think the number one thing is we're using our smart home phones to control smart houses. So our, I could say it differently. We're using our smartphones to control smart homes.
1: But that reminds me, I forgot to turn on my alarm this morning. <laughs> it's like, yeah, like I have the app. And I was like, didn't turn on my alarm. That's
2: funny. It's, it's really, though, serious. Um, It's a big investment. If you're really going to commit to it, you need to relook at your budget if you're going to remodel and start saying, okay, I might spend 25% of that budget on smart home technology. We can do everything. We we can have you unlock your front door and turn off your alarm by your phone. Sitting in your car with all of this is done. Although the
1: security people told me not to do that. They said, wait wait until you get to the house. Right. you, You should be doing it when you get to the
2: house. But you can do it at the front door. And when you walk in the front door after that alarm is turned off, The lights that you want to turn on all through the house as you walk in come on automatically. So you can set up everything. You can have remotes that you have controlling things all over the house tuned into your iPhone. You have small touchscreens in some places and big touchscreens in other places where you can see who's at the front door. It's just an amazing world right now. And we're finding that appliances are now coming in. For the first time, I've got a cooktop now with a hood that's remotely controlled. And I'm going, are you kidding me? I've got to put a hood over a cooktop and to turn it on and off. It's only remote. There are no buttons. Mm. So that'll all
1: have to be keyed in too. That'll keep me from burning, maybe burning my food so much. (laughs) And I'm like upstairs multitasking, you know, and burning the food downstairs. But it's hit hit every aspect of our lives. (laughs) Uh, you've heard of Nest thermostats. Uh, which well, I have. Yeah,
2: you do. Mm-hmm. Oh, fantastic. Well, you've got that keyed into your iPhone, right? Yeah. Yeah, okay. Well, just imagine that everything like that, all through your house, is into your phone. Android, actually, but that's okay. Oh, that's all right. Android's fine. Either one works perfectly, just a smartphone.
1: Yeah.
0: But, but it's also alarms for like lift stations. Uh, so if and it, it, uh, stopping floods where. Uh, the plumbing starts a leak somewhere, you can actually turn off your plumbing with your phone.
1: I would love that because I did leave the toilet on for two days this week when I was traveling. <laughs> well, it was running. If you
2: thing. travel a lot, it's really a good idea because it, it detects water flowing through your system and immediately turns everything off. Mm-hmm. There are valves that do this. So if you have a basement and you're having to pump everything, all your sewage up to the higher level, which most basements in Atlanta have that. Then you're notified if it's not working. And that's happened several times with our clients. They get a note on their um, cell phone saying it's not working. That's fabulous. But another thing I, I didn't tell you about yeah. is, Randy touched on it for a minute here, is really the, the home that's built using science, really looking at science, such as makeup air. If, if you're going to have a well insulated house and you go in and put a good cooked up, big cooked up in there, and you Make sure that you're getting the right airflow, sucking, turning that big hood on. You've got to make sure, where is that air coming from? So you've turned on a hood. It's sucking air. It, you can't see it, but it's sucking it from p- different places. So there are things like makeup air to keep your air quality going. So it's very important to be looking at air quality. So science is a big deal now, too.
1: Mm. This is really, really fascinating. And what about the, the overall, do you have any data or a sense as you look at your own business about the just the overall trend in the market economically, we're, you know, uh, let's say what, seven years into our recovery and typically the average recovery lasts about seven years. So do you have a thought on when the next recession is or are you preparing (laughs) yourself for the next one? I think in our industry, you always have to, you Mm -hmm. always have to because if the market just
2: burps, then our, Clients are looking at it, going, "I'm not going to reach into my investments right now, or I want to leave this alone, or I'm nervous." And, and it's be-
0: usually construction that is hit first, mm. and and then you usually we are the last to come back around too. With uh, and, and that's what we have seen in, in Atlanta, that we are the bellwether, we're the uh, canary mm-hmm. in the mine shaft, and when we start seeing our economy hit, it's it's and we're talking about it and whining then. Usually it's a little bit later. Everybody else is going. Everything's fine, and then then they see it.
1: Wonderful. And so, if you were talking going to give like a playbook, so you mentioned a couple things and that are industry industry um, specific that you did. Other specific tactics that you used to one see that the recession was coming, and then change your business to accommodate the tightening in the market.
2: We definitely had a meeting with everyone that worked for us, called them all in and said, hey, gang, one of the only ways we're going to make it through this is to be very competitive. I said to everyone in the room at that time, I'm stepping forward and taking a 10% cut. Wow. Are the rest of you willing to do it? How? how, Every every project manager we have and our laborers, carpenters all said, we'll take a 10% cut. And that was an effort to make us more competitive. At what point
1: did you do that? When did you do that?
2: I would say it was around 2009,
1: 2010. Okay. Probably. Mm. But they're back up there now. (laughs) Yeah. No, no, no. Great. But I I think one of the key themes that um, I certainly heard a a lot of CEOs talk about is transparency, right? So I think that's amazing that you were, you know, you felt that you had a close enough relationship with the people working for you that you could just level with them. So, Annie, we're a team. After 40 years, you can imagine.
2: We're very much a team. A lot of the people that are with us now have been with us for a long time. So the best way to do it is just to be up front. We have a table, conference table, in our office. And on Mondays, all the superintendents, project managers come in and sit with us at the, at the table. And at the table, they're expected to speak freely. They're expected to tell us if they disagree with something in our scheduling, in our process, unhappy with a sub-selection, a client, problems with them. So we really emphasize that. And I think if I were giving advice to any CEO, it's easy to say, communicate and listen. But one of the things that helped me is that I was quite a bit younger and was a new member of Leadership Atlanta. And one of the things they trained us on was personality testing and finding out what type we are and what type our employees are and try to quickly make a judgment on a new client what type of personality they may have. You look at things like Myers-Briggs um, type indicator, and try to figure out how that person responds. Because what I think is communicating with somebody may not be communicating to them. Everybody responds a different way. We have some clients that just tell us right up front, I don't like this, or I want this, or I, this has been a good week, this hasn't been such a good week. We have other clients that we have to pull it out. They may be softer. They may be more afraid of offending, and they may be more easily offended. We have other clients that are like accountants and bookkeepers. They think that way, very logically, right down the line, A, B, C, D. So if you can try to look at your communication as an individual thing, and that's what we try to do with our employees, is look at each one of them and go, okay, how's this one going to respond?
0: And it's also the same with our clients that we have, too. It's, It's understanding how they feel. Because what we do is, to be honest, since I'm in charge of the bookkeeping, I have their, uh, my hand right at their wallet. right? And, and so to, to be respectful of that and, and how they can feel good about what we are doing. We, we produce a, a quality product and we give value for that. And we are transparent.
1: Mm. So for those of you listening, we're t- talking to Randy Urquhart. And Judy Mosen from Handcrafted Homes, Inc., a remodeler here in the Atlanta area, about surviving the recession and team building, etc. So on that point, one of the things I didn't mention at the open of the show is that you guys are married. Um, Listeners, I don't know that you may have picked that up because they don't have they don't share the same last name. And so as you're talking about personality types and communication, uh, Randy, like how do you communicate with? Judy, and vice versa, keep everything working and on the up and up, it still seems like you, you like each other, right? <laughs>
0: uh, we, we actually go beyond. We do like each other, but we love each other very much. Uh, we respect each other very much, and we enjoy being together. We both have the same worth at work ethics and values. Uh, we both like to work. Uh, we, we both respect people. And and, um, and and with that, it makes it really pretty easy.
1: Mm. And, and yet at the same time, I imagine that there must be disagreements, conflict. I mean, that's inevitable in any business or personal relationship. And how do you manage that and still make everything work? Long time ago, before we
2: got married and we were engaged, we read some some books today because we had been both previously divorced. So we wanted to get out on the right footing on Conflict resolution. So we read a book that said, when you're really heated, make an appointment with each other to talk later.
0: An appointment to fight is what it really was.
2: <laughs> yeah, and, and it said the first time you talk to each other, you each have seven minutes. The next rebuttal, you each have five, and then it's it's kind of over. At first, it was hard to get to that, but now it's just kind of natural. If if there's something we disagree on, it's, it's table two. We look at the calendar and say, when you want to talk about this? Because it's not a good time to talk about it right when you're in the heat of it. It's, you're, you're very unlikely to make a good decision. And, each, and also,
0: you're, 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 you're speaking from passion or anger. And that's really not what what's, I want to come from my heart. From uh, And so if you, if, you, if you give it the time and give it the time to be able to think about it, then you can resolve the issue.
1: Well, that's one of the things I've observed really separates successful CEOs from ones who may struggle, especially with teams and communication, is emotional restraint. So what are your recommendations for cultivating emotional restraint? Because there is that moment when something happens, right? The emotions come up and there's that little moment, right? The pause where you you have that opportunity to just step back. And sometimes we don't always take it, right? Right. I I certainly don't always take the opportunity to take a deep breath and be like, "Ah," back away from the the situation before you react. Uh, And any thoughts on how to cultivate that ability to to exercise restraint? I think with myself, it's probably been
2: harder (laughs) than with Randy. I I tend to be a little bit more outspoken. One of the things when we were first dating, we went to a counselor just to, to talk about it. And Randy had been working for me for five years and I was president of the company.
1: You started dating an employee? <laughs> yes, I did. I broke all the rules. <laughs> Shame on you. But I might, I might need to take that, take that playbook, actually.
0: Okay, uh, I can even say I fell in love with my boss, you know. <laughs>
1: <laughs> but he,
2: he said to us, he, he looked at Randy and I, and he said, Randy, are you going to be able to handle that she's the boss during the day? And, of course, Randy said, I've always been knowing. I've always known she's the boss during the day, and then there was a long pause, and he looked at me and he said, "Judy, can you remember that you are not the boss at night?"
1: And, <laughs> is that the counselor, or
2: Randy? That's the counselor. Oh, and, and so Randy Ooh. and I were sitting there going, "Okay." So I think that it um, was a
0: long pause before wow, he answered really? that, like
2: three, like three days, <laughs> like a week. It is hard to keep that division, but I think that's discipline. Um, and I know you said what do I have for advice? You're going to slip up. It's, it's going to happen. But discipline to realize that this is a professional situation. And, and even when I go to a job site and I look at something that I know is done the way, the wrong way, the way I didn't want it to be done and someone hasn't listened to me, it's you've got to just kind of turn around and get a grip and say, I am a professional. Well, I will walk into this professionally. Um, I talked about association training. That's another re- way. You get used to being on teams, you get used to being, as I've said to you before, I'm a leader, I'm an officer, I'm the chair of the board for the National Association, the remodeling industry. I worked my way up. And when you're on a team, you respect each other. So that professional has to kick in. You have to be able to do that. Mm. It takes experience. So again, I'd say get active, get busy in groups that are not necessarily your, your own company. Where you can really communicate, and mentoring helps a lot.
0: And I think one of the the biggest things is learning to apologize. And uh, and oh, and
1: CEOs, it, did you hear that?
0: Well, <laughs> it's 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 being able to do that turns off that tape player of of you saying over and over, "I'm right, I'm right, I'm right," even though you're going, "I'm wrong, I'm wrong." And and I just apologize. And me learning to say that to to Judy, us expecting that of our the, our employees is when you make a mistake, don't come on and, and give us all of these lines of this and that. I made a mistake. I apologize. I will do better. Mm. And then all of a sudden, everything quiets down.
1: But don't you have to create an environment in which people feel safe enough to admit, admit an error?
0: But well, we do. And, and our company is run that way. It,
2: I think they've experienced it, that it's a lot harder if they don't. <laughs> we, we come on them very hard because it's very clear most of the time. If this was done properly or not? Yeah, because so, the, the the table is leaning to the, the
1: <laughs> counters. Ta- the countertop is slanted.
2: <laughs> well, probably not quite that bad, but, but they've real. They've been on the other side of it, and so I I would say reward the behavior that you want trying to create, and make it a team. The team will take care of it.
0: Okay. I really believe and, and that. It, and it's funny, our uh, uh, older superintendents will let our our newer ones know. Don't go there with Judy. You go ahead and just apologize and and get it over with. Uh, Don't tell Randy that. Apologize now. And then it's through. Hmm. But it's the same with our Judy's and my relationship. And it's what really made a a huge difference is when I learned to say, I'm sorry. And then be quiet. (laughs) You know, it's not then, but.
2: (laughs) Uh, I I feel like I'm plugging— so nonprofits, but Better Business Bureau. I, I can't say enough about how they helped me. I had a very difficult client and a lot of money on the line and couldn't seem to get anywhere. So I took a class that the Better Business Bureau offered on uh, difficult clients. But I don't remember if it's called that exactly, but I think it was something similar to that. Sat there all day and took notes, practiced it for a couple of days, made an appointment with him, went in and followed it just like they said And it worked, and that check was written that day. Mm. Uh, But what it took was pulling myself out. It's not all about me. And and, and CEOs, we we have a problem thinking it's all about us, and it's really not all about you. It's about your company. It's going to be you hope there long after you're not there. It's about your employees. It's about your client. It's about a lot of things, but it's not all about you. And Better Business Bureau emphasized using taking the I, I, I out of when I communicated with the client and take the approach of we were looking to them and it made a huge difference. And I, I can't even tell you how much I learned from just sitting in with a group of people in a class, learning to take the
1: I out of my business all the time to try to look broader. So uh, we talk a lot on the show about creating behaviors and culture and and how to create the behaviors in your workforce that that then create the culture that you want. What are some specific suggestions that you have for, and ins- you said, incent the behaviors that you want? How do you do that at Handcrafted Homes? Well, we actually, we, I think I mentioned to you, we have meetings every
2: Monday. It's never, it's very, very seldom. It's only a vacation maybe that might change uh, the every Monday meeting, which means we have a chance to talk every Monday. and We have a chance to advise each other. And some of it's in private. Some of it needs to be in private with Randy and myself with with one of our employees. But generally, most of it's as a group. And so uh, that's one way. We incentivize them by complimenting them, thanking them, telling them we noticed and we recognized it. But another thing is um, we keep, and I'm sure most people do, but we keep records. We keep daily records. We have job reports daily records, um, constantly on what's going on on our job sites and with that particular uh, employee. So it's easy to refer back and say, look, you know, we've we've, we've been through this and we've been through this. And I'm sure most, most uh, HR divisions and companies do that, but we're a smaller company, so it's really left to us to do a lot of that. Um, so I can't really give you a specific other than We're making sure that we're together every Monday to discuss what happened in the past week, and so nothing is let go. I mean, a minor thing might be, but something that affects our business and our reputation, their performance, is not let go. Mm. You know, if you're not doing that regularly, if you're not connecting with your department regularly or or grouping your people together regularly, you can let it go and just forget to say anything about it because it's easier. It's a lot easier to let it go. But if you're catching it every time and you're talking about it, it's, uh, I'm hoping that it will always be a learning experience.
1: Wonderful. Well, tell us about anything that's new and exciting that's going to be happening at Handcrafted Homes that you think our CEO listeners would be interested in.
2: I would would say the economy is a lot better. So we're doing a little bit more, uh, experimenting with some new ideas and new thoughts as to renovation and what money should be spent on and trying to get uh, just... It's more positive attitude, I'd say, than it was a couple of years ago, certainly. And so what I would say to CEOs now is you, you've got a moment to breathe. Things aren't quite as scary. And so breathe maybe something you might have not have thought of before. You know, breathe in new ideas. listen, hear what other people are doing. And that's what we do. Uh, we're constantly trying to present to our clients something new that they haven't tried before.
0: Another thing that that we do, and I think sets us apart in in many ways, we not only meet with our our employees, but we insist on meeting with our clients, and and we have uh, at least a, a weekly meeting, and and sometimes it's even twice a week. And and what that does is the, the the way that we get our houses to look more like our clients, instead of oh, this is a Judy Mosin design. It's it's really yes, Judy Mosin did work through the design, and come up with the creativity of it. But what she's done is listen to our clients and and he and is has the ability to hear what they say, put it down on paper, and then go out and direct all the rest of us on how to
1: build it. Great. Well, thank you so much for a wonderful show. Listeners, we've been talking to Handcrafted Homes, their CEO and founder, Judy Mosin. I am forgetting his official title.
0: Vice President.
1: Vice President and also Judy's husband, Randy Urquhart. Thank you so much for being on the show. As you all know listening, um, we're going to have a blog that comes out on Thursday that summarizes the key takeaways from this wonderful interview. This has been CEO Exclusive. I'm Soyini Koch. Have a wonderful, prosperous, and very productive Mm -hmm. week.
0: This show is brought to you by Anona Enterprises, where strategy is your access to money and performance. Learn more at AnonaEnterprises.com.